Before I jump into my message, let me uh, say a little bit about the summer of service. Uh, I need to recruit some of your help uh, because one of the first events is this coming Wednesday, Lord willing, when it comes to the weather, is uh, one of the things I'm organizing is a pond cleanup in my neighborhood. And many of you know uh, my desire is to reach as many people for Christ in my neighborhood. And this is what, just one way of me trying to get in and be a blessing to them. Uh, we're going to invite the whole neighborhood, any of them who want to come and help with this as well. But uh, I'd love to have some of your help. Right now, the sign-up is me. Uh, and so uh, I don't want to just be by myself. Uh, my son, uh, Will, has a mock trial that I think my wife's going to have to be a part of. I'm not sure if my daughter's working that night. So maybe Jacob and I, and, uh, but we'd love for some of you to help. You say, now how do I do that? Well, go to the website. Click on Summer of Service, and you'll find my particular event, and you click on it, and it'll email me saying, hey, I'm willing to help. And then I'll give you a few details. Basically, we're, we're working from somewhere around 4.30 to 8.30, and all we're going to do is basically the ponds. I mean, think about Lebanon Baptist's pond. Okay, This is kind of like that. It it's, does need some cleanup all around it, uh, pulling brush. If, if you have a boat or something like that, or a kayak, n- not a motorboat, okay, but a kayak or something, you could go in there and help clear out some of the scum that's in there. There's branches. If you have waders, any of that, bring your tools. We're going to try to pull all the brush out of it. We probably need somebody to help. Like uh, Our church is going to provide some food, some pizza, but I probably need someone to pick it up. Maybe someone to ice down some drinks and bring them. You may only be able to come for an hour or something like that. But I'd love your help to kind of maybe get to meet some of my neighbors. Or you may just get to meet me a little bit more if I'm the only one there. So uh, love your help and uh, consider doing something. That's just one area. There's lots of areas to jump into. So let me encourage you to use some of your extra time to serve your community. All right, turning your Bibles uh, back to Genesis chapter 12. This is where we're going to be. Today we are going to officially dive into the life of Abraham. Last week I kind of just did an introduction. Today we're going to uh, investigate some of the uh, material that opens up his life. God has been very gracious at times to give us examples for us to learn from. Most of you have been in situations where... You just didn't know what to do, how to proceed with a certain uh, decision or where to go in an area of life, and you were glad to have people who had went before you as an example. Maybe it was in the midst of uh, you're in college and you have all these assignments and you're like, how do I make it through? And possibly you're that freshman and you're thinking, where do I go from here? And it was good to have a senior who maybe could sit down with you and say, I know all those assignments are incredibly uh, mounting in front of you, but you know what, if you'll just take it a little bit at a time, and just to have someone there in front of you. Maybe it was dating. Those of you who've gone through the dating world, and all of a sudden it's like you have this big breakup, and you're like, what do I do? And you think of this other person who has had similar difficulties, You say, hey, how do I navigate this? How do I think right about this? Or maybe it's marriage difficulties. Uh, So often when you struggle, it's good to be a part of a local church because you know what? 
all of us struggle in various ways. And to be able to go to someone who says, this is how I navigated this particular trial. Or maybe it's parenting. I particularly remember when uh, our children were very young in my first ministry and just really trying to understand child discipline. How do I navigate disciplining my children? Just to have my former senior pastor, Ron Allen, just give me wise biblical advice of think about it this way and, and this is how you should handle this and this and this. You know, no doubt, and there's a number of us who've had to navigate big purchases, and it's good to call someone on the phone. How do I buy a house? How do I buy a car? How do I sell a car? Or navigating diseases. How did you deal with infertility? How did you deal with a spouse with cancer or a child with cancer or the loss of a loved one? It is often people who have been there that we look to. Did you know that all of us, our walk of faith, following Jesus Christ, is going to be confronted with disheartening times. We're not going to know what to do sometimes. We're to take that next step. The good thing is that God has given us a road map. He's given us his word. And so as we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, we come to some help for us, a beautiful example of walking by faith. And as we come to Genesis chapter 12, we've got to realize that we are coming to a key hinge in the book of Genesis. What's happening here? Now, we're starting, okay, now, if if you've been coming to Lebanon for a long period of time, we did preach on Genesis 1 through 11 a while back. But many of you may have not have been here for that. And so you're jumping in right in the middle of this book. What's happened so far? Well, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, what you find is God is interacting with the entire world. The world is kind of prominent. You have themes of blessing. Of course, Genesis 1 and 2 of all this great blessing. But then you have cursing. Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. And you see blessing and cursing and these two themes just continuing to combat each other. But beginning in chapter 12, what happens is the focus moves from kind of on the whole world. It begins to focus on one particular family from which God is going to bless the world. It's like this, Genesis 1 through 11 is to the world, Genesis 12 all the way through the book of Acts is a focus on one family, the family of Abraham and particularly the family of Israel. And what you find is how that one family through them God will bless the entire world. And then from Acts on, you see how that family, in coming to know the ultimate person from that family, can bring you into a much greater family, the family of God. Jesus Christ is at the center of all that. Today, in our opening text, which we're going to be looking at, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, we will learn a very simple lesson. It's this. God graciously 
calls people to follow him and they must respond in faith. Let me say that one more time. God graciously calls people to follow him and they must respond in faith. That's the message of these nine verses. In fact, that was the message that Moses, the human author of Genesis, meant for those original readers. Who were the original people reading this? It wasn't Lebanon Baptist Church. The Pentateuch was written to a group of people, the Israelites, who had just come from the Exodus and were poised to enter the land of Cana. They were in the midst of their wilderness, you could say wandering. That was the message he wanted them to know. God graciously calls a nation to follow him. And they must respond in what? Faith. That's what they needed to learn through this. And that same lesson is the lesson that all of you who are here today in 2020 need to learn. That God graciously calls people to follow him. And you, your responsibility is to respond in faith. We've been called to live our life not by sight, but by faith. This faith is seen through trusting and believing God's word. God's written word, but also God's incarnate word, believing Jesus Christ. So as we look at Abraham's life, you're going to be challenged to follow God in the faith of Abraham. And so today we're just going to see two simple truths that kind of help provide the undergirding to what I just told you. Okay, And the first is this. God calls people to follow him. And you're going to see it in this text. Our, our text accounts or recounts God's call of Abram. It takes place in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. First thing I want you to notice about this is that it is rooted in the grace of God. Abram appears, if you look at other scriptures, you know what Abram appears to be? He appears to have been an idol worshiper like his father before him. Terah, the Bible clearly states, was a man who worshipped idols. There's a lot of speculation about even the names of the different people that they were followers of a moon god. What happens here is this. Grace reaches down and selects this man. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know what grace does? Grace reaches down and begins a call in Abraham's life. All of us, anybody in this room, if you know God today, the reason you know God is because of God's grace, his unmerited favor toward you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is God's what? Gift. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So understand All of the call of God is rooted in the grace of God. But then I want you to notice also that it begins with the word of God. That's where it kind of starts. Do you know that's always been true? Everything kind of begins with the word of God. Think about creation. And God what? Said. Let there be light. 
and there was light. You know, everything begins with the word of God. God speaks, boom. That's how initial creation began. But did you know that recreation after the fall happens when the word comes and the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us? God's final word to this world was Jesus Christ. That's where life comes from, the word of God. Abram's spiritual life began with the gracious word of God. Go to verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram. I love that, don't you? God what? God spoke. God said. He gave words. He communicated. That's glorious. He communicated with man. I told you last week he communicates generally through nature, but he, can t- he communicates specially through his word. And he comes to this man and he spoke to him. Notice the phrase, the Lord said. I'm glad God speaks. God who spoke the world into existence. And I love that little phrase. And the Lord spoke to Abram. He specifically talks to individual people. I'm telling you this, I'm so glad that God, in his grace, spoke to me. He may not have spoken audibly, but he spoke to me through his ultimate revelation, through Jesus Christ. And as a child, I had learned the Holy Scriptures, which the Bible says will make me wise into salvation. And it was as I heard the word of God from my parents and my Sunday school teachers and the pastors and teachers and friends There was at one point, which I've told you before, I don't know exactly when that incredible moment happened when I was justified. I think it was sometime between the ages of 8 and 16. But there was at some point that the God's word, it's like it says here, and the Lord said to Brian, God spoke to Abram. Now when did this happen? Well, we find out from other texts of scripture, in fact, in Acts chapter 7, we find out from Stephen's speech that Abram heard that call initially when he was still an Ur of the Chaldeans. He was still there. Now, from this particular text, it seems like maybe he was in Haran, and maybe God spoke to him in Ur and Haran. But we know that Mesopotamia, which is modern-day kind of Iraq, between the past nation of Ur is in South Mesopotamia, and one of them happens to be in North Mesopotamia. And you hear commentators, I think it's this one, I think it's this one. I don't know. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? That's where he was from. He got the call. We find that God calls him. And Abram, his father Terah, and some of their family travel up, and we are pretty confident, there wasn't a whole lot of debate about this, where Haran was. In our text, what I read to you, verses 31 and 32 of chapter 11, talks about that. It says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his sons, uh, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur... To go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah are 205, and Terah died in Haran. So what happens next? God speaks, 
But I want you to notice this. God, God's word comes with commands. He gives commands. When he speaks, he often comes in the sense of this. He gives a command that you need to obey. The first command for Abraham was what? Go. I want you to go. Now, in order for Abram to go, it was going to be at least somewhat hard for him because he was going to have to leave three significant aspects of his life. Look what the verse says. Go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house. That little sequence appears to move closer to home in each of them. It was like when I had to move my family from, uh, from the south to Wisconsin. It was almost like, go to Wisconsin. And you will leave both the south, the Carolinas, because that's where I had kind of lived for those last two decades before that, and from the Peterson clan. So he says, go, and and we're going to find out what's going to happen in just a moment. There is a second command that shows up a little bit later. Some of us miss it. But notice, associated with that first command, God's word also comes with promises. After that first command, God gives three promises to him. He gives them three more after the second command. But I want you to notice the promises. They begin to pile up in in verse 2. It says this, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. So three promises. One of them was this, I'm going to make from you, Abram, a great nation. Now up to this point, how many children did Abram have? Zero. And the text has already pointed out in chapter 11 that Sarah is barren. So that initial promise was this, you're going to have children. Now he's not specific in all of that, but he's basically saying, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Not only that, I am going to make you blessed. Now here in the South, we like to use that phrase for a whole lot of different things. Oh, I am blessed. What is that blessing? I mean, in the South... A blessing may be instead of getting one piece of fried chicken, you get two pieces of fried chicken. And you're like, man, I am blessed. What does the Bible mean when it says that God will bless them? Well, at least kind of on the surface, it's this idea of I will bless you materially. A specific promise to him. I'm going to bless you materially, but there's something even more than that. But then he does something very significant. He says this, I am going to make your name great. Now this is interesting when you you contrast this with the story in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that whole story? God had commanded after Noah that they were to spread across the world and kind of replenish it. And they're supposed to, of course, be displays of his name and his glory. But what do they do with the Tower of Babel? They don't spread. They go and start building their own city in order to make their name what? Great. We want to make our name great. 
And what does God have to do? He has to come down and, and confuse their languages and send them out. So here was a group of people who were trying to make their name great. And God tells this man in his grace, I will make your name great. Here God promises this man a name, a nation, a blessing. And that leads to a second command. Now some of you may not have caught this, okay? But it's a little phrase at the end of verse 2. Okay, look at verse 2. It says, and I will make your name great, that first promise, or I will make a great nation, I will bless you, that's the second one, and I will make your name great, that's the third one, and then it says this little phrase, so that you will be a blessing. Did you know that that little phrase is in the imperative tense? It's a command. He says, you are to be a blessing. It's a command to Abraham. You are to be a blessing to this world. It's almost like this. It's almost like that I command my children. Let's say I command Anna, Will, and Jacob. I said, I command you to go to Gigi and Papa Rick's house. Because when you go, because anytime you go to grandma's house, you're going to get blessed. But as soon as I say that, I say, then I tell them, and you know what you need to be? Is you need to be a blessing. As they bless you, I want you to be a blessing to them. You know what God does? He tells Abraham, he says, I want you to go and I will bless you, but then I want you to be a blessing to this world. And that comes through, of course, following what God says. And God heaps on to Abraham three more promises. You say, what are they? They're in verse three. He says this, I will bless those who bless you. I, in him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he tells them three more promises. Now he's got six of them, if you've added them all up. One of them was this, I will bless those who bless you. It's pretty understandable. Then he says, I will dishonor those who curse you. And it's interesting, those of you who have read the rest of the book of Genesis, you see that played out all through the rest of that particular book. Because the people who bless the nation of Israel and and the patriarchs, you know what? They're blessed. In fact, when the people who curse them have hard times, the Pharaoh, the first kind of Pharaoh who Abraham runs into, when he starts to take, you could say, Abram's wife, What happens? All these curses happen. When Abimelech starts to do the same thing, all these curses happen to him. When Pharaoh, the later Pharaoh, ends up trying to hurt, there's a lot of curses upon them. However, the people who treat the patriarchs in the right way, who care for them, and are kind of in within their sphere of influence, the closer they get, they're blessed. You find that, with Laban. You know what? Laban hires, of course, Jacob. And because he hires Jacob, all of his like cattle starts to grow. God blesses him. You think about Joseph. Those who were kind to Joseph. In fact, when he first got into Potiphar's house, Potiphar's house just like, there was lots of prospering that was happening. And when they were good to Joseph, there was great prospering. And even 
the nation of Egypt was blessed because Israel was there. But then there's one final promise there. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then he says, I will bless all the families of the earth through Abraham. Now what's that talking about? Those of us who know the scriptures understand that this alludes to the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ. So if you leave Genesis chapter 12 and you go back to Genesis chapter 3 when the fall happens, you find that man is now under a curse. But God promises that there one day is going to be the seed of a woman who is going to reverse the curse and bring about everything that's needed to happen. Now God says it's going to be through this man's family, through him, all the world is going to be blessed And it ultimately will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So what we're going to see is this. Follow me on this. From one man, Abram, from one man comes a nation. And from one nation comes one man, Jesus Christ. And from that one man, Jesus Christ, comes a great multitude that we find in Revelation. From every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God's people in God's place under God's peace. And God now begins to narrow his focus in on this man, Abram. So at the outset of Abraham's account, Genesis chapter 12. This is where we're at. Abram is given a command and he's... Given that command with a number of promises. Now we'll see what he does with that command and those promises. However, let me just tell you and just kind of give you just a beautiful picture. Ten chapters later, in Genesis 22, God will give a different command. Not go, but he'll say take. And that is to take his son Isaac. And he gives another command, and with that command, he gives more promises. In both cases, Abram is given commands and he's given promises. And you're wondering, what is he going to do with them? Is he going to believe God? Is he going to follow in faith? Okay, I've, I've just given you a lot of information. Now, Lebanon Baptist Church, God in his grace has sent out his word. He's spoken, and he has called people to faith. It began, you could say, with Abram. God graciously reached down and called him to follow him. He also called Israel. He comes to Israel, also in bondage, and he calls to them through Moses and says, Come, follow me. And he calls them all to faith. Believe my word. I will give you commands. I will give you promises. Believe me. Trust me. I mean, one of the ways that you see this played out is even in the the conquest of Cana. You remember, they get to the banks of the Jordan. They cross the uh, Jordan. And there's the first city called Jericho that they're supposed to conquer. And God says, okay, I've given you this city. But here are the commands, okay? You're going to have to march around the city this. And I promise you, I will give you the victory. 
But the question is, was Israel going to believe the word of God? Were they going to take God at his word and follow him? Now, years later, okay, 2020, I'm looking at Lebanon Baptist Church, yay, 150 or 60 of you, because we knew we weren't allowed to have any more than that here, okay? Which we probably could fit a little bit more, I'm just noticing. Maybe we can add to our number, okay? God has spoken, and he has not stuttered in our age. So some of us are wondering, 2020, does God still speak? Yes, he does. You say, how has God spoken? He's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who he has declared, and he has spoken to you through his written word that declares to us the incarnate word. He has spoken and he's calling people to himself like he did for me when I was young. Jesus has commanded this world. You know what he commanded when he was on this planet? He says this, repent and believe the gospel. You need to turn from your sins and believe the gospel. He commanded this, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's commanded you to come to him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There are so many different commands. But he has also given you promises with those commands. Now, he may not have given you explicit promises like Abraham. He may not have told you, I'm going to give you a son. He may not have told you that you're going to have a lot of cattle. Or I'm going to make your name great. But I'll tell you this. The promises that Jesus Christ has given in his call for you to repent and believe the Gospels are the most significant promises that anything can be offered to you. Eternal, eternal presence with him in heaven for all eternity. The promises of God, I often say this, our future is as bright as the promises of God. And when God calls you to be his child, yes, there may be some hard things that you're going to have to do. But you know what he's going to tell you? There's so many promises that so outweigh. Yet I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glories that shall be revealed in you. What do you, what will you do with God's call on your life? For those first recipients of Genesis, okay, the people who were coming back on the Exodus, they had left Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land, but they were probably questioning, is God really going to come through for us on this? Will he really give us the land of the promise? Is he really going to do this? And you know what we do? In the same way. He redeems us. And we're like going through the wilderness of our 20s or our 30s or our 40s or our 50s. And we begin to question, uh, it's gotten kind of hard here. I've had five operations. I've had this. I've had this. I have this. And we oftentimes can start to wonder, is God going to come through? But did he come through for Abraham? He had to live by faith. Did he come through for Israel? 
He did and he will for all of us who trust him. He promises to do that. So all of this account calls them to faith in God. For some of you, God has called you to be a follower and to leave your former way of life. But will you believe that God is enough for you? You know what? There are many of you in this room. You've started the life of faith, but you've gotten to this point in your life, whatever age it may be, and you're wondering, is this really worth it? It's gotten hard. And I'll tell you, it got hard for Abram, and we're going to see it. And did he stumble? Yes. But you need to take the word of God and remember it and believe it. So how would Abraham respond to the call? And how must you respond? And that's our second main point, and here it is. You must respond in faith. Not many of you are like, I knew you were going there, Pastor Brian. In verses 4 through 9, Abram responds in faith to God's call. Look what it says in verse 4. So Abram went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Notice that Abram did exactly what God told him to do. He went. Here he brings Lot, as you'll see. This is his nephew. We'll learn more about Lot in the days ahead. Some have wondered, is this kind of his thought of a potential heir? Since he had no children yet. But notice that Abram and his obedience. He, he displays his faith through what? His obedience. He did exactly what God told him to do. Go, he went. He believed, and it just shows that he had faith in what God had said because he shows it through his obedience. But notice that Abram obeyed in the midst of great difficulties. And what our, the writer Moses does is he presents two great difficulties that initially faced Abram as he goes out to follow God. And the first is this, his age. He's 75. You know what? This wasn't the time to go off into the unknown and start a new life. I remember a number of years ago, one of my favorite teachers in college was a guy by the name of Dr. Barrett. Dr. Barrett was an Old Testament professor, and some of his classes were uh, some of the most cherished in my life. And I remember it was just a few years ago, he had been a professor in Greenville for years, and God began to call him to take a position in Michigan. And I can remember seeing a video of him just explaining, he says, I was real comfortable, all my grandkids are here, all of this. But then he remembered the story of Abram, and how God often, even in great difficulties, and even at sometimes... The age you don't necessarily desire to take steps of faith. You know what? None of you on this side of heaven get to retire from a life of faith. There is a point where you always need to live by faith until you live by sight. And you won't live by sight until many of you are six feet under. At least your body is. You need to live by faith. And that was a hard thing for him. We don't get to choose to retire from the life of faith. Moses continues, okay, so he talks about who goes with him. Moses continues to list those who accompanied Abraham. That's in verse 5. It says this, And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So Lot went with them. 
Sarah, their possessions, and it's interesting, it says, and the people that they acquired. Now, there's a question, and many of the commentators have talked about this. This is possibly pointing to proselytes. You say, what's a proselyte? David, I mean, excuse me, Abraham had already begun to show his faith in Yahweh, and it very well could have been that some of these people who he had acquired were not necessarily his collateral. Some people said they're slaves or servants or different things like that. It could have very well have been those who began to follow Abram's God, and they came with him. But second difficulty, not only was it his age, but also the Canaanites. Go to verse 6. It says this, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. And then it says this little phrase, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And what our text says is that Abram entered the promised land and he went to this area called Shechem. It's an ancient town. This is one area of Israel that I have not been to. This is one area I want to visit, hopefully in the future. It's real close to two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and very close to Sychar, where Jesus met the woman at the well. But they believe that he entered in, he crossed the Jordan and kind of entered into the center of the land of Cana, and he comes to this area of Shechem. And it says that he went to a place called the Oak of Morah. Now, this is a key location evidently in the land that little phrase mora meant teacher in hebrew and what it possibly alludes to was that it was a place of oracles in the pagan canaanite society there they would go and try to find words from the deities there and what god is probably painting the picture is in that land already are people who are hostile toward monotheism and particularly the worship of Yahweh but then he adds to this and there are Canaanites in the land this life of faith is not going to be easy and as a reminder to all of you who have been called by God to follow him in obedience following God's call on your life will often involve obedience in the midst of great difficulty I mean, think about the first recipients of this book again. Think about the Israelites who were coming back from the Exodus. What were they called to do? They were called to leave their homes in Egypt. Some of them were pretty old in age. And they were to go to Cana. Here they read how their forefather, so as they're reading this, they read how their forefather in front of them obeyed in the midst of his age. And obeyed even when the Canaanites were in the land. What were the Israelites who were reading Genesis? They're reading about it and they're saying, oh great, there's all these Canaanites in the land. And they read about Abram and they're like, there were Canaanites in the land when he was there. And what did he do? He what? He obeyed. He followed the Lord. He did what he was supposed to. This is going to be hard. For those of us in 2020, our call is to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you this, it is not going to be easy. We will have both personal obstacles and public obstacles. Some of those personal obstacles, as you walk by faith in 2020, it could be this. It's health. And that is going to continue to barrage you and just 
just so you know, the Bible says the outward man is perishing. He already tells you that. It's going to happen. He's told you in Genesis 3, because of the fall, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Let me tell all of you, you're dying. Your body is breaking down, and the older we get, the more we see it. You think you're indestructible when you're a teenager, and you think that I can move on and do You're dying. And the Bible tells us this. You will have hard times. There will be personal obstacles. You'll fall. There'll be public obstacles. People will challenge your faith. People will depart from the faith. Just like I think it was in the last week, some lead uh, musician on one particular group, just as others have in the past, have forsaken the Christian faith. And you know it can shake your faith. Is this all true? Is this, is this right? There are going to be personal obstacles some of your faith is going to be challenged by your family, by your coworkers, by the circumstances that you face. And I'll remind you, we are all in a foreign land. Our world is broken, and God is why God tells us you are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And you know what? We are, we are not building our own city here like those in Babel. You know what we're doing? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we're letting him build the city. And you and I instead are living as strangers on this earth. So here God reiterates his promise to Abraham. So he tells him, Abram obeys. And he goes to Shechem. He goes by the oak of Morah. And then what happens? It says in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So what happens here is now God does what we call a theophany. Now, I'm not sure all of this, but the first time God does something with Abraham, it says he spoke to him. Here it says he appeared to him. And this is what I believe is this is a place where God manifests himself physically. I often believe that many of these were Christophanies that Christ revealed himself to them, to him. So God appears to Abram and he gives him once again a promise and he says, this land that you're standing on, I am going to give to your children. I mean, I'm sure Abraham's like, what? What about me? Why? why? I'm here. Why don't you just go ahead and I'm going to give it to your children. Now, as a reminder, that was a great encouragement as Israel read this. They could claim that promise. You know what? All that land that we're about to go in on the conquest, God's given it to us. I got to believe this. These are promises that I can take to the bank. Abram then responds by God's appearing to him with the second response in following him by faith. And it's this. You display your faith through what? Through worship. And Abram builds an altar there. Look what it says at the end of verse 7. It says, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You say, what was an altar? An altar was a place of worship. And for that day and age, you know what it was? It was a visual billboard of Abram's faith in Yahweh. 
It was also a statement to the Canaanites who were living in that land of the one true God. It was a display to them. Notice Abram continued to go and to worship all through the land. Verse 8, it says this. It says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And it's interesting, someone pointed out, when you see Abraham travel, he doesn't go necessarily and camp in the cities. Of course, he was a livestock guy, so he needed some space. But he always was pitching outside the cities. Later on, we're going to see Lot who pitched his tent toward a city and ended up in the city. But Abram didn't want to get too close to the Canaanites in the land. He pitched there, and once again, he worships. It is interesting that Abram, he pitches tents, but he builds altars. One of them was temporary, the other was permanent. And the thing that he wanted to be permanent was not his own possessions and his own stuff, but the thing was permanent was God's work and God in his life. And there he calls, the Bible says, on the name of the Lord. Let me show you verse 8 again. It says this. It says, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now, some have focused on the fact that this was not simply personal worship. You know, we, we kind of think that he built the altar and then he kind of prayed by himself. I'm going to call on the Lord. And it's all kind of private for him. But it's interesting. It was probably something that was very public. That idea right there of call on the name of the Lord It was this, make proclamation of the name of the Lord. You know what Martin Luther, when he was teaching on this text, this is what he said it meant, that he preached the name of the Lord. Contrast now this with Babel again. He called on God's name. In Babel, they were trying to make a name for themselves. But God comes and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a name for you. And what does Abram do? No, God, I'm going to call on your name. You're the name that's the most important. Our text ends with Abram traveling to the Negev, which is the desert, kind of the wandering place at at the bottom. We'll pick up there next week. Look what it says in verse 9. So Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And it's interesting to note, okay, maybe I should have put the map up here. It's interesting that Abraham's route, okay, Abraham's route starts at Shechem in the middle of the land. Then he goes to Bethel and Ai, and then he goes to the Negev. Years later, the people who will read all of this for the first time, they will start in the Negev. They will come to Bethel and Ai, and they'll renew the covenant in Shechem. It was almost like the author is writing, hey, you know what? We're just following in his steps the opposite direction to go back and take what God initially promised He's pointing to Abraham's faith and obedience. So Lebanon Baptist Church, this I want you to catch. 
In our text today, we learn this. God graciously calls people to follow him, and they must respond in faith. My question to you, first of all, is this. Have you responded to the call of Jesus Christ? Have you responded, number one, in his call to follow him? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you chosen to turn from your sin and believe in God's final word, Jesus Christ, and believed in him and had your sins forgiven? I believe most of you in this room, I'm speaking to the choir, you've done that, but my question is this. You are now, in many of you, in this area that we call sanctification, where what we have to do is we have to continually take the promises of God And we have to continually obey them and believe him and worship him until we reach, you could say, the celestial city. And Jesus just didn't give one command to repent and believe the gospel. He gave commandments like this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. He's told you this, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He tells you this, don't be anxious for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Have you been? Have you been all anxious about all of life? He says, do not be angry. Be angry and sin not. He tells you to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Important thing to think about when it's tax time. He's told you to make disciples of all people, beginning at Jerusalem, your Jerusalem. And you know what you and I are supposed to do in our day and age? We are to continually be people that follow him. And how do we do it? We respond in faith. And faith looks like this. Whenever you come to God's word, you obey it. Are you living by faith? Are there commands that Jesus Christ has given you right now that he's put his finger on it and you're not obeying? Repent. There are times, Abraham, you're going to say Abraham failed. Repent and go back to obedience. And I'll tell you this, and what fuels all of this is worship. I'm so glad that we have a chance to come back together and worship together. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to encourage one another to do this. But let me remind you, God graciously calls people to follow him. He's called many of you. And you know what all of us need to do is to continue to follow him in faith through obedience and worship. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the reminder of what you have called us to do in our day and age. Help us to be people that walk by faith and not by sight. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, we're just going to close the service with you taking a moment and maybe asking yourself, God, where am I at in this journey? Am I faltering? Am I obeying? Am I trusting? I don't know what God's doing in your life, but would you take a moment and talk to him and maybe recommit your faith to him as Reba Place?